Welcome to another edition of the Dewan Marrero Podcast. I'm your host, Dewan Marrero. Joining me this week is someone who interviewed me a decade ago when I was coming up through grassroots basketball. He spent a decade as a scout and consultant for more than 300 Division I colleges, NBA teams, and international franchises. He has been profiled in the New York Times and Sports Illustrated, the one and only Dan Poneman. Pleasure to have you on the podcast, bro. Rico, thanks for having me, man. Hey, how you feeling today? Good. Now, before... You ask me questions, I gotta ask you a question. Okay. Do you know what's the first time I saw you play? I don't. So you wouldn't know because you were the man and I was just an anonymous scout. Okay. But here's the first time I saw you play. In the Chicago suburbs, Pangos, Midwest, freshman, sophomore camp, you and Deontay Burton were the MVPs of the camp. Do you remember that? I remember the footage because I was trying to get that content from you. That's when uh, MySpace was heavy back then. Yeah, yeah. And uh, shout out to Deontay Burton. He's doing his thing right now mm-hmm. in the NBA. So, yeah, I definitely remember you was there, very persistent, grabbing kids like, yo, let me interview you. Yeah. You know what I mean? You was that real dog and grind, and that's something I've always admired. Yeah, that was that camp was all 14, 15-year-olds and, you know, little scrawny kids, and you and Deontay were, like, 6'5", dunking on people. Yeah, no like, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you guys, it's crazy. And in it's Deerfield. Deerfield. I remember. Deerfield. It was in yeah. Deerfield. Like, I... I did a nasty left-hand dunk uh, fast break. Like, I remember shit like that. So, um, and that's when, like, Deontay, like, uh, we always became still cool from that time because, like, watching his growth, being from Milwaukee and seeing where he is today is, is dope. And I was in the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. Yeah, I don't know. That's dope, man. So, man, let's get straight to it. Um, tell the people um, who don't know who Dan Poneman is a little bit about yourself and, you know, who are you? I'll tell my story real quick, I guess. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy from Evanston, Illinois, born and raised. Um, when I was 14 years old, uh, this was yeah, pre, pre-Facebook, pre-Instagram, uh, pre-Twitter, uh, when blogs were the thing. Uh, I started a website uh, interviewing high school basketball players. I used to use, you, know, you mentioned MySpace, I used to use AOL Instant Messenger, AIM, to interview mm-hmm. basketball players. Uh, and just, I was running around the city of Chicago uh, interviewing basketball players, ranking players when I was a high school kid myself. That was an era when the city, particularly the north suburbs, was on fire with, with talent. Like, guys I grew up with were like Chris Colvin, who went on to play at Iowa State, Alex Dragovich, uh, who went on to play at Boston College of Notre Dame, uh, uh, Ben Bruss, uh, Duye Dukan, uh, Kyle Rowley, uh, David Smith. I mean, all these guys who went on to play Division I, Matt Bogrich. Um, Tyler Ponticelli, like I just grew up playing AAU and playing ball with tons of future Division One players, and uh, I wasn't I wasn't as good as him. So I said, all right, how can I be valuable? I started a website, I interviewed him. Uh, now, you know, 15 years later, uh, I'm an NBA agent. Uh, I run a nonprofit that helps uh, young basketball players get to get to colleges for free. I'm a filmmaker, and I'm just I'm Mr. Basketball. Man, you've been all over. Like I said, you've been putting in the groundwork, like. Who inspired you to be the guy you are today? Like, what made you so persistent? Because everything didn't come easy, especially when you're trying to interview kids who has egos, parents watching. Um, did you face some rejection, obviously, when you started, like, around 14 and, and going to basketball games as a scout? You know, I think um, the beauty of what I was able to do and the reason I was able to be successful at it is that I didn't, like, rejection didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was that age, I was a kid, and I was, I guess, like oblivious to some of the like insecurities or, 
you know, things that, 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 that older people feel where you don't want to like put yourself out there. I was 14 years old, so I didn't care. Right. I would go, I would go, I remember going to the Nike Peach Jam when I was 15 years old. And at the time, now the Peach Jam is this big media event. Right, but right. At the time, the Peach Jam was this little uh, AAU tournament in South Carolina, small town, where it's just a bunch of teams and every college coach in the country. I used to have a stack of business cards. I walk up to Bill Self, I walk up to John Calipari, I walk to Mike, Mike Krzyzewski. They're like, hey, you don't know me, but you gotta know me. If you wanna recruit Chicago, you gotta talk to me. They're like, who the fuck, you know, can I right, right. on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who the fuck is this kid? I'm 15 years old, but they remembered me, they knew me, and I wasn't scared of rejection because I was, I was 15 years old. I don't right. know. And I guess other high school kids are more insecure than that, but I don't know what it was, like what um, gene I had that just made me, I guess, like oblivious to that. Right. Um, and I, I would say who I looked up to, at the time, like, for me to build a career that way, it was really by chance. It wasn't like uh, I had a game plan, like, here's a master plan. I'm going to build this thing, this website, and then this thing called Facebook is going to come out, and then this thing called Twitter is going to come out, and I'm going to blow up. And like, no, I didn't know that was going to happen. I was just a kid who liked basketball and put my love for basketball on the internet, which so many people do now. I was just early to do it, so I got noticed. Right. You uh, saw D. Rose in his prime. How was that? Like, you was up close, personal. A lot of players now haven't saw D. Rose when he was at Simeon or Mean Streets vibe. Like, how was that seeing D. Rose just dominating? Yeah, so I'll take you back to that, like, place and time. So, I was high school class of 2009. Derrick Rose was class of 2007. Mm -hmm. So, when I started my website at the time as a freshman in high school, the seniors that year were uh, like John Shire at Glenbrook North, Sharon Collins at, uh, at Crane, uh, Patrick Beverly was at Marshall. Um, so th th that class was loaded, but that next class under him was Derek Rose, Evan Turner, and, and Demetri McCammy and th those guys. So I really, like, I liked basketball a lot, and I liked my website and all that stuff, but it became an obsession when I got to see D. Rose live. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw him live. It was my sophomore year of high school, first game of the year. Derrick Rose was playing for Simeon. He was a senior, and they were playing at Chicago State. I believe they were playing against Austin High School. Um, and I remember getting to the game with my dad. So I live way up north. Chicago State is way out south, like 95th Street. So me and my, my dad, I'm 15 years old, I don't have my driver's license. So my dad drives me out on like a cold day, hour, 15 minutes. We get to Chicago State, sold out. There's people lined up outside to see Derrick Rose play. And I'm like about to cry almost. I'm like, this is like my hero. I want to see him play. I call the coach at Chicago State. He lets us in, Craig Shaman, lets us in the back door, standing room only crowd, and Derrick Rose put on a show. I remember 17-year-old Derrick Rose. This is the one play I'll always remember. Um, fast break, the other team, okay? So he's under the hoop. The guy catches it at his like three-point line in between three-point line and half court. He's running up thinking he has an uncontested layup. Derek runs from under his hoop, mm -hmm. full sprint across. And when Derek sprinted, it looked effortless. He glided across the floor. Dude doesn't know he's coming. Derek jumps from the free throw line and pins the ball against the glass like Spider-Man. Shoot. I'd never seen anything like that. A high school kid jumps from the free throw line and just holds the ball against the glass and then wraps it up. And I'm like, who is this person? Is this a human? Right. And I was hooked. And I went to like every Simeon game that year. And I remember the Simeon coach, Robert Smith, didn't allow Derek to have any media availability all year. So after every game, I tried to interview him. And I never got the interview until the city championship. I finally got to interview Derek. That was like my first big interview. Um, and it's crazy. I still know Derek to this day. Um, and I feel like 
we don't talk often. Right. But we have this bond where it's like we almost like grew up in this business together. Yeah. Like we kind of no had question. the same like launching point, and then we've gone on to do our you know have our own ups and downs. Were you our, nervous? When I first interviewed Derek, yeah. oh yeah, I was, I was, that's, I was more nervous to interview a high school kid in Derek right. Rose than I was to talk to, you know, Mike Shashevsky or Bill yeah, Self. Right, that right. didn't scare me, but Derek was like my hero. Right. Like, like, when he got all the hate, you know, when he would, you know, it was a pro and, and said things to the media that maybe he shouldn't have said, or, you know, his knee, you know, got injured or whatever. Like, I always took it personally because, like, that's my guy. That was right. like, that was my hero. That right. was, that was, you know, I, I wouldn't be here without him. Right. So. And that's dope. Like the the work that you put in, obviously you're white, but a lot of the black coaches really accept you. You know what I mean? You saw a lot of great ball players, and you also saw a lot of ball players who passed away. And I see that you give uh, on social media, you post that, you know, to pay homage. Why do you think they accept you in the black community when you're surrounded by all these great talent in every community? Yeah, well, I think it's like, it's like an awkward question to answer in a sense because it's like I can't be like, well, here's how I got my hood fast. Like, right, it's not, right. you know, that's not a thing. Right. But I think um, genuinely, I, I, I first off appreciate the Chicago basketball community, the Chicago right. black community for accepting me. I wouldn't have a career without that. And I think when a community accepts you and gives you a chance, it, it's an audition. You right. have to do right by that community, whether it's black, white, other. Right. You have to do right by that community um, if you want them to do right by you and it can continue to accept you. And I think one thing that I always um, did instinctually throughout my career is that I feel like in the basketball community, there's people have a tendency to exploit or leverage the elite players and right. not pay attention to the rest, right? So if someone's a five-star player and they're gonna, there's money potentially to be made, it's a lot of people that are there to help them, whether right. it's white, black, or other. And there's a lot of other kids who maybe need some exposure, need an interview, need a highlight tape, need some help that people weren't paying attention to. Right. And for me, it wasn't like a strategy. For me, it was just like, all right, well, if everybody's interviewing Derek, like, I don't want that inter- interview too. Right. But what about the other guys on the team who, like, maybe are mid-major players, the D2 players, but they have a story to tell. Right. So right. that was why, if you look at my YouTube channel back when I used to have Swag Air and I used yeah. to interview players, like, I remember with Anthony Davis, I was the first person to put him out there. I put his first highlight video out there. But before I made his second highlight video, every single player on his AAU team got a highlight video. Because I was like, I can't just leverage the elite and not uh, invest in the people who, who need my platform. Right. And I think that authenticity, uh, people recognize and appreciate. And, and, you know, if someone, yeah, like if someone gives you access to their community, you have to treat it with care and with, with thought. And, and I, I, I hope that I've done that. Yeah, no, I think you did a tremendous job. Like, I remember... Uh, me seeing you, you know what I mean, at every gym, and you go to every inner high school around here. Because I know in Chicago they start their games typically early than in Indiana. You know, we always started our games 7:38, and here uh, they start around 3:3:30. So no, I just think that's dope of you, and just how you just network, you know, the hell out what you have going on. But you know why they start the games that early in Chicago, though, right? Uh, let's say violence. Violence. Yeah, they have to start them right after school because right. they don't want people leaving when it's dark out. Right. Right. Um, yeah. How How was that when you, you know, went early? Well, it's it's funny. Like, that was one of the things that people used to always say to me, like when I was in high school, whatever. Like, you go to that neighborhood to go to that right. game. Like, aren't you Aren't you nervous? I never felt unsafe. I've never <laughs> felt unsafe. Like, um, maybe I'm naive. Mm-hmm. Now, I felt unsafe all the time when I was in the rap game and I was managing rappers. That was wild. We can talk about that later. Yeah. But in terms of the basketball community, I never felt unsafe. 
I go to any neighborhood in the city and basketball is almost like the thing that brings people together. It's sacred. It's like, yeah, there'll be fights, but like no one's pulling out a gun in the, in the, in the gym. Right. Like it's, it's the thing that brings people together. It's, it's a uniting force in, in the city. So I've been to every neighborhood in the city, every gym, every high school in the city, and I never felt unsafe. Man, that's dope. Um, and that explains how your relationship with uh, Anthony Davis came about. And how did Swag Air come about? Because I thought the name was really ill. Yeah, well, it was crazy. It's funny, like, Swag Air, I retired it now. Mm-hmm. But at the time, like, people, Swag is so much a part of the vernacular now. But back in 2008, people didn't use that word. So, like, you know how like, if you Google a word on a... On, on, on Google and, and like they'll have like the chart of like when it, it, it peaked in usage like you would see swag like no one used that word and then like 2009 2010 it peaked so in like 08 I, it was like the cutting edge of the culture and I was trying to think of a name for my highlight video company and I was like alright what can encompass basketball but also kind of the culture so I was like alright swag air mm. I was like oh man, that's dope and I put it out and then over time like over the course of the next two years it got played out in a sense because it went from a place where like swag was something we only said to then like you have like you know white grandmas like right. like say swag for the camera like it became right. like a joke and then I was like damn like I really brand, branded hard on something that was cutting edge but now it was almost like the mainstream took our our culture and and uh, made it something else so I ended up retiring the name after uh, Nike put it on T-shirts worldwide right, right. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, it was it was cool. Like at the time, it was like Swag Air, Ball is Life, Hoop Mixtape, and like we were kind of the originators of that whole yeah. little, little yeah, culture, yeah, that, sure. that, that that YouTube mixtape culture. Man, talk about uh, when you drove one thousand miles for the postseason college tournament. Remember uh, that? I think it was like twenty fourteen. You drove on that a few times. Yeah. Okay, so in twenty fourteen, that was when I did. Um, it's funny that that you brought that up because I hadn't even thought about that. That was when yeah. I was from New York. Because I've done a lot of crazy road trips. So yeah. first off, in my career, I couldn't... Um, a, you couldn't rent a car till you're 25. Mm-hmm. B, can't get a hotel till you're 18 legally. Uh, and C, I didn't really have money like that to be flying around renting cars. So I just... I whipped it everywhere. Like, I would just drive. Like, I'm going to the Peach Jam. I'm whipping it from Chicago to South Carolina. 16 yeah, hours. Fuck it. You know? Right. Fuck it. I'm... I mean, I've driven everywhere, but yeah, that particular one was New York City. I drove overnight to uh, Louisville, Kentucky to watch the NCAA tournament to see uh, Abdul Nader play for Iowa State, Quentin Chivas play for Hampton, and SMU played, um, and someone else played. Then I drove overnight the next day to Indianapolis more NCAA tournament games and to Chicago I've done some crazy road trips in my day but when it's all said and done don't you just feel good though like that shit paid off when you reflect and look back I love it so those are some of the best times of my life my friend Ricky Ricky Birdsong just sent me a, 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 a link today to a song of, of Paris Morton music from Drake he's like yeah. I remember when we drove to South Carolina yeah. listening to this mixtape and it brings you back to like a place right. in time some of the best times of my life are on the road getting to see America you know getting to see like some people thrive on being like, you know, oh, I got to see Paris or I got to see, you know, uh, Vienna or, or, or whatever. I love seeing like the most random places in America and like discovering our country and just driving in the back roads and getting into some gym that no one, you know, has ever, you know, from Chicago has ever seen and finding right. some player that no one, that, that no one knows about. Right. Like, that's what I thrive on. So every one of those experiences kind of makes me who I am and, and is why I've loved 
my, my journey. Man, I, I guess that explains why you was featured in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. How was that feeling? Honestly, it's weird. So when I was in high school, I was doing the website thing, freshman, sophomore year. I was doing it like, it was almost like there was this internet community I had and my school community didn't know what I was doing. My teachers and and, and other kids in my school, they didn't know that I had this whole pop-in basketball website, this whole other thing I did on the nights and weekends. But then when I was 16, Sports Illustrated did an article on me. I didn't tell anyone it was coming out. So it was one of those things where like, it almost didn't seem real. Uh, so I didn't want to tell anyone what was happening until like I had it in my hands. So I remember it was like junior year of high school, Christmas break, Sports Illustrated came in everyone's, you know, uh, in the mail. And I started, my, my phone started blowing up. Like, bro, you really got a whole article on Sports Illustrated. And that was when it was good and bad because mm-hmm. it was like teachers started knowing that I was like, you know, different. And right. the other kids in the school started knowing about me and it, it, it like removed my anonymity mm-hmm. a little bit right. and I, that kind of hurt me in the sense that like I couldn't be a regular kid anymore sure um, everyone knew what I was doing um, and it, it, it's just it's just weird like nothing was the same after that yeah and then the New York Times thing happened when I was uh, and then well first off after Sports Illustrated all the t- local TV stations wanted to do a thing so Comcast Sportsnet you know, ABC News came to school and followed me around for a day like I had this wave of media which was cool but also like had its like I said had its downside um and then yeah the New York, New York Times thing happened when I was 19 but by then I, I was used to, to to press like I'd done plenty of interviews and there's plenty since then but it's like the Sports Illustrated thing was really what broke down that wall and like you can't go back once that happens like I was gonna to some people around the world I'm still that 16 year old kid because mm-hmm. that's kind of when I was Immortalized. I was stamped in time. Like people still imagine me as that child and not right. as the adult that I am now. You know. And when so when you graduated from high school, were you going to attend Northwestern? Yeah. And you was like, screw it, I'm about to be a full time scout. Yeah. So <laughs> what happened was I was in high school, and in in Evanston High School. Mm-hmm. So I grew up like right on Northwestern campus, and obviously it's an incredible academic school. So Boris sure. Hardy was the assistant at Northwestern at the time. And that was my dude. That was like my mentor. And I, I was like a Northwestern fan. So I was helping him recruit players like sure. you know, Drew Crawford, John Sherna, uh, Kyle Rowley. Like these were guys I was close with who were going to Northwestern. And like sure. I felt like that was, my, that was my team. And Tavares was my guy. So he invited me, said he talked to the school president. I was going to be the team manager and get some scholarship money. And like it was all set. Like cool. Like right. it's like my time to cash out almost. Right, like right. I built this, this, this basketball thing and now I can be like move on, go to college. And right. just like basically on the team at Northwestern. Right. Um, it was actually when I was filling out my application for Northwestern that I had this moment. It was, was kind of like they, they asked on application basically like something like, why do you want to go here? Like, what, what do you want to study? Right. I was like, wait a second. Why do I want to go here? I'm doing what I love already. Right. Why am I going to stop this to go pay a bunch of money and take out loans to learn to do something else when I don't, what are they going to teach me at Northwestern about basketball scouting? Right. I know every college coach in the country. I know guys all across the NBA. What, what I'm going to go there for the stamp that I went there. Okay, what do I need that for? I'm already doing what I love. So I asked my parents. I walked in there. I remember they were laying in bed. I'm supposed to be filling out my application. I walk in their bedroom. Like, hey, guys, I'm not going to college. I'm kind of like, okay. And that was it. I was 17, and I decided not to go to school. And I knew if, like, that first year went poorly, I could, mm-hmm. like, turn around and go back. Right. My grades sure. were good. I did sure. well on ACT, but uh, never went back. And then the rest was history. 
yeah, some good history, some bad history. It wasn't easy. A right. lot of ups and downs, a lot of sure. failure, a lot of roadblocks. Like, it was not easy at all. Like, you could look at where I was then and where I am now and be right. like, oh, shit. Like, you did it. But, like, man, it was a tough journey. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I made the right call. Hey, man, you, like, going into that, that music business, like you said, you was managing, you know, rappers. That Spinzo era hit in 2012, Wifer. That song yeah. was classic. You yeah. know what I mean? I remember playing it, uh, training uh, at the Paul in the weight room. We had it playing. Then uh, you said a tweet too. You was like, uh, Chance was going to be the biggest star to come out of Chicago since Ye. You remember that tweet? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you were spot on. Yeah. Um, talk about a little bit about that Spinzo and that 2012 when you saw Chance and you went back on that tweet. Like, look, like, he just won a Grammy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny, like, when something like that happens, like Chance won the Grammy, like, you want to be humble, but right. it's hard to not go back and gloat. Like, even yeah. with the Anthony Davis thing, like, people know that I, I was the first person to, like, you know, do an Anthony highlight video, and I was the first, right. like, scout to discover Anthony. And, like, you want to be humble and, like, reject credit, but then, like, I, like you saw on my Instagram the other day, I found, like, a little clip of right. Anthony, where it was his very first interview. And the thing, the reason I posted it, because it was so funny, because the way I ended the interview was, I said, you know who I am, but this is Anthony Davis. Remember the name. Right. And it was funny, because now it's like comical, like no one knows who I am and everyone knows who he is. Right. But at the time, people knew who I was. If you're watching that video, it's because you're watching my YouTube channel. Sure. You had never heard of this guy, but right. now when you put it in context, it's hilarious, but I had to like put it out there. Um, same when Chance won the, um, the Grammys, it was just like, yeah, I called this. And then... Right. Uh, but I'll take you back to that time and how it all transpired. Like, so Anthony, you know, we're, we're jumping around with the story. The people who know me know that, like, you know, Anthony is my guy. And, you know, I made his, you know, early highlight videos and put him out there. It's funny because um, people always say, like, I discovered Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. But I always like to reject credit because he did a lot more for me than I did for him. Sure. Like, I found him when no one knew about him. But if I hadn't found him, like a month later someone else would have it's not right. like I made him a better basketball player right you know what I'm saying right, like, right. like he was already cold right. he had hit his growth spurt I got really lucky I was in the right place at the right time it's a blessing uh, and like it was a moment in time in Chicago where like if someone hit a growth spurt mm -hmm. I would get a call about it right. so I got to see him first mm -hmm. um, but after Anthony went on that journey and became the number one pick and I got to kind of go on that journey with him and be a part of it I had a, almost like an identity crisis mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I've been a basketball scout since I was 15, 14. I'm 20 years old now. I found a number one pick in the draft. Where do I go from here? Right. Like, all right, I did that. Like, my life's been consumed with basketball for six years. All my other friends are in college. They're in frats. They're studying. They're going abroad. I'm back in Chicago. Like, what do I do now? So I was, like, really trying to figure out what was next. And this is the time when Chicago music started bubbling up. Chief right. Keith, Don't Like had just dropped. Right. Shout out she, to your photo. You got a photo. Yeah. Of yeah. So it's funny. That photo that I posted of me and Keith was the same day I saw Chance perform for the first time. Nice. So I'll tell you the story. I'm in the car with Jeremy Richmond. Okay. Kaylin Shane. And we're... And Kaylin ended up playing in Mexico Highlands. Jeremy played at Illinois. Um, he's playing the DR now. We're driving to North Avenue Beach for the Pro-Am. I see a line. I, we, we, we drive by a, a venue called uh, Park West in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I see a line around the corner. And I pull up and I ask him, hey, what's this line for? They say it's a free Fabulous concert. So I was like, 
hey guys, do you want to go hoop or do you want to go see the show? Right. We're like, let's see, let's see the show. Right. So, whoop, whip a U-turn, park the car, we get in line, and we go to the Free Fabulous concert. So there's three openers that mm-hmm. day. It was so Fabulous was a headliner. Right under him on the bill was Rocky Fresh, who had just been signed to Rick Ross at the time. Nice. Right under him was Lil Reese, who was mm-hmm. who was bubbling cousin Keith. Right. And the first opener only got to perform like one song was Chance the Rapper. Never heard of him in my life. It's like when Ten Day had just came out. So I go to see the show, and uh, Chance performed. He did the song Juke Juke, mm-hmm. and I was like, nothing I ever seen in my life. I was like, yo, this is magic. This is crazy. I didn't even care about the rest. I didn't watch Fabulous's set. I didn't watch Rocky Fresh set. I saw that one song. I was like, I gotta figure out who this guy is. So I go to the lobby of Park West, and I'm just asking with you know Chance the Rappers, who is this guy? Right. Can you connect me to? Can you get me backstage? I gotta meet this guy. And then I see Chief Keith. He had come to watch Lil Reese. So it's this crazy culmination of events. 2012. Right. I'm I'm hanging with Chief Keith, watching Chance the Rapper. It was just like a weird moment in time, you know? So it's funny, Keith was surrounded by his whole crew right. and no one was letting anyone get a picture. But I knew that Anthony Davis's sister, Muka, uh-huh. was friends with Fredo. Okay. So rest I saw peace, Fredo. Fredo. Rest, rest, rest in peace, peace. peace. So I saw Fredo. I was like, yo, you don't know me, but I'm friends with Muka. He's looking at me, I'm like some white kid. Right. Like, how do you know Muka? Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, like I explained. He's like, cool, like you can, you can hang with us. So that's how I got the picture with Keith. I was the only person. And the true religion fit he had on. Yeah, yeah, the true religion. That was that was like classic Keith when he had the one Gucci shirt he'd wear in every interview. Like right. he was, this was like early, early Keith. Um, and that was, I, 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 that was almost cooler than, than like early Anthony Davis. Like that, that was a moment in time when Keith was like, it. Like it that was, 2012 era where, Chicago rappers was just out there like uh, Drake uh, gave a shout out to Rich Crew mm-hmm. that was huge okay so I'll tell that story now okay so let, let's continue the story so that whole thing happens and in that moment it almost like spoke to me I was like okay I've done the basketball thing let's try this music thing right. and I didn't know where it would lead me right. um, this, is, this is all I've never told this story in an interview before this is a crazy story okay so I'm with my friend Dusty mm-hmm. Shout out to Dusty. And I'm with our friend Sean CK. Sean CK was writing for a blog called Ruby Hornet and he sent me a song. He's like, you've got to hear this. It's this new rapper called Lil Herb. Okay? Right. So he sends me Lil Herb and I listen to the song and the, the tag on the song says, it's a L beat. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's a L beat? Mm-hmm. That can't be DJ L. So DJ L was the same person who made the, the beats for my highlight videos on Swag Air. Nice. Was, he was some kid who went to Hales Franciscan. I was like, DJ L's making like legit like beats for like big rappers. I gotta call him. Same number. Beep beep. Hey bro, let's link up. We link up. He introduces me to a guy named E, who manages LEP Bogus Boys. E, this is the first day I've seen DJ L in years. E, me, DJ L, E, we meet up with uh, Bun B, mm-hmm. and we go to a Bun B concert. So this is just crazy. I'm just some, I'm a, I'm a kid at Evanston. L says meet up. I meet up with L. We go meet up with E. We go to a hotel, meet up with Bun B and Bun's like, get in the car. So we get in a, in a, in like an Escalade. Five minutes into meeting Bun B, we pull up at the venue, walk on stage. I'm on stage with Bun B at his concert. That's huge. I'm just like, what is my life? Like this, right, is, right. this is bizarre. OG. OG. Like, whatever. So then I, I start talking to this guy E and he says, hey, I've got this young rapper named Spenzo. He's about to sign a deal with Atlantic Records. He goes to King High School. He's gonna be the next big thing. And we need a manager for him. 
you seem young, talented, you seem to know what you're doing. It was almost like it fell from the sky. Like sure. I was like, I got to do this music thing. And then this kid just signed with Atlantic and they're like, hey, he needs a manager. Are you up for the job? I'm like, fuck it, let's go. I met Spenzo, we clicked and we, he drops an album called In Spenzo We Trust, mm-hmm. which had that record, Wiper. Right. So within three months of managing Spenzo, we had the number one song in Chicago. It was on WGCI and Power 92 every single hour. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing Wiper. We're going on tour. It was it was crazy. And then that all culminated when Drake came to town for a show and right. sang our song on stage at the Drake show. And it was another moment where it was like, what is my life? Like, this right. is... This is just too too weird. Like here's Drake, my favorite artist, singing a song that I was in the room when it got written yeah. on stage. Your stock was rising. Yeah, I mean stocks rise and fall though. Yeah. You know? So from from that end, then is that when you went back to basketball? Mm-hmm. Um, after the music, like man, I'm done. It was a great run. I'm gonna go back to where I started. Yeah. So I was doing the music thing and it was fun, but it, it didn't feel right. Like I said, it was dangerous. Right. You're going on tour and you're performing at nightclubs at three in the morning. People are drunk. People have guns. Right. Like we're going to different random cities. Like it was not what I was used to. Right. Um, so that didn't sit right with me. Um, and it was just something that didn't feel right about it. I went back to basketball. I'll tell you exactly how I went back to basketball. It be traced back to a moment. Anthony Davis's 21st birthday party. Um, I had a conversation with Anthony's dad and he pulled me aside. He was like, Dan, what are you doing? It's like music, like Spenzo, Atlantic Records, this is great. It's like, Dan, that ain't you. Mm. Like Anthony's here mm. partially because of you and basketball. And there's other kids out there who need you like 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 we did. And you're out here running around going on tour of music, like that's not you, bro. Right. Like you He made an analogy, he said, you leave work you think that someone else is going to fill in for you and take a day off you come back to work and there's papers stacked on your desk that you missed when you're gone so you've been gone from basketball for a year and the papers are stacking up you got to get back to it um so after that day i was like shit he's right right and i went back to the city and dove head first back into basketball but i had taken that year off so it was almost like i was rejuvenated i was refreshed right. and i was like all right let me uh let me dive back in with a newfound purpose. You had that fire. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And that, and that's when you came about uh, the movie you directed, mm-hmm. Shot in the Dark. Yeah, so that was all happening actually simultaneously. Like, when I was doing the Spenzo thing, we were start, starting to film Shot in the Dark also. It was two filmmakers from, from Edmondson who was living in New York, Ben Vogel, Dustin, and Kyle Heather. They had come to Chicago, wanted to do a film about... Um, Chicago basketball and we had picked uh, or Academy of Taekwondo or Marquise Pryor um, and and so I was like would, would spend the day uh, shooting uh, footage at or and then we would clock out and I would go to the recording studio with Spenzo and so it was funny like to the public at the time I was just a rap manager mm-hmm. but secretly I was working on this film that I knew would never see the light of day for a long time bubbling up bubbling up so I'm working on this no money in the budget, just 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 self-funding it, working, 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 and then seven years after the start date of filming, we end up selling that film to Fox, national TV premiere, over a million viewers. I got Dwayne Wade to be an executive producer, and Chance the Rapper became an executive producer. It's crazy, full circle. That's dope. When I was filming the movie, never thinking anyone would ever see it, 
I see Chance perform for the first time seven years later in Full Circle. He's the executive producer of the movie. How does that make you feel? Um, it makes me feel that the like there's a quote that basically like if you're if you I don't know what the exact quote is but like if you do what you love and you set your intentions to it and you give it your all the universe will conspire in your favor and I look at my path and all just a random happenstance coincidences that happen to, to make things happen and I realize that like nothing is an accident and the universe is working in ways that we don't totally understand you just kind of got to trust it and flow with it and uh, it's been a really fun journey and it makes me excited for the future I'm 28 years old right. I've done a lot in, in 14 years it's been crazy and again we're, we're talking about the highlights but some lowlights there was a few times where I moved out my parents house and moved back to my parents house because things didn't go the way I planned right um, but that's all part of it I love it. You gotta embrace that too. Yeah. If it was just the good stuff, right? Um, the good stuff wouldn't feel as good, right? You know? No, I I agree. I, like I said, when I first reached out to you, I'm like, hey, you gotta return the favor and let me interview you, because you did me a service of interviewing me. I think we had over five thousand views. I'm just this skinny kid from Gary, trying to find my way. I can only pick one university, and it was between DePaul and uh, University of Illinois. That's why I always went there. And seeing you put in the groundwork, and now you're 28, I knew that me connecting with you, I was going to learn so much because you influence so many people, and you spread that positive energy just like I do uh, back home in Gary. Because there's not a lot of people who's doing what I'm doing right now, and that's why I thank you for just bringing this content and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, for first off, I haven't watched the interview in probably 10 years, and I remember where we were when we filmed it. You remember yeah. where we were? Yeah. It was at University of Illinois, yeah. right? You came, you came yeah, and pulled yeah. me. You yeah. was persistent. You yeah. was like, yo, I, I, need huh. this, I need this video. <laughs> yeah, and what's cool is, again, I haven't watched that interview in 10 years. I, I usually don't watch my interviews after I put them out. Right. I remember so. the theme of it, and it, it's consistent with what's happening right now. The theme of it was that you were basically, you had Gary on your back. back. There you go. You yeah. had, you were the, the chosen, Gary's a place that ha, has gone through its rough rough patches. Sure. And you were this bright light for your community that people could look at as this, this, this star. And now here you are, full circle years later, and you're highlighting other great people from Gary. And you're using your platform and the attention that Gary has given you sure. to shine that light back on, you know, politicians and teachers and other athletes. And you're, being a, a source of energy and a source of light for your community. So it's cool to see that come full circle. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Wrapping things up, bro. That selfie with Amber Rose. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get that one? That was crazy. That was funny. Because at the time, Amber was, was, was uh, that was when she was, had just started dating Wiz. So that was at Made in America Festival. Yeah, I don't, okay, so I see famous people all the time. I don't do selfies mm-hmm. unless they're like, funny and obscure yeah like i'll see jay-z and i'm not gonna be like hey jay let me get a selfie like no we're gonna do business but i saw amber rose and it was in a moment of time when she was uh, it was actually at jay-z's made in america festival okay. i was backstage at um at a uh, made in america festival and i saw amber and i was like i need a selfie she couldn't have been cooler but that day was the first time that chance uh met justin bieber and i watched that introduction get made nice. and they went and recorded music that night and ended up putting out a song um, That's fire. Another crazy thing that happened that day. So Made in America Festival in LA. Chance, this was at a time when Chance was just like starting to bubble up. So he was playing at the festival, but he wasn't a headliner. He was like the two o'clock show. Okay. And on like the Sunday. And Jay hadn't been at his own festival all week. 
but Jay showed up at the festival just to go to Chance's show. And what was crazy about that for me, mm. okay, full circle, I, I had known people at Rock Nation at the time. That was why I was backstage at the show. When Chance, before Acid Rap came out, when he just had 10 Day, me and my guys who made the documentary Shot in the Dark did a video on for, for Life and Times, Jay-Z's website at the time, about Chance. We did like a little uh, decoded video where he decoded his, one of his songs. I remember the day that that's, that dropped, this was like pre-Acid Rap Chance, I got a call from a guy at Rock Nation. He was like, yo, who's Chance the Rapper? What's the name of his like album? Jay just called The Office. Jay saw the video we posted and he wants to know who Chance the Rapper is. So I got my computer, sent him a bunch of songs. And uh, it's crazy because that was how Jay found out about Chance was the video we made. And now, boom, two years later, full circle, Jay's showing up at his own festival to watch Chance play. Ew. And uh, that was a trippy day. But then, yeah, the Amber Amber photo was funny. I also got a photo that day with Jaden Smith. Again, like a lot of big celebrities. Uh, but I, I wanted the funny selfies. And I ended that night hanging out in a hotel room with SZA and Isaiah Rashad. Nice. And like, I don't smoke. Right. But when they... When, when SZA and Isaiah Rashad are smoking mm. and they pass you the, the joint, yeah. like... You have to. You have to. Yeah, fuck So, it. I hit it, and, like, I don't smoke, so I was, like, <laughs> zooted. I was, like, like, and I'm, like, what am I doing here? Right, and right, It was right. one of those moments where it's, like, Yo, where, that's crazy. Where, am I, where am I right now? And that was when, yeah, SZA and Isaiah were making a lot of music together that still, to this day, stands the test of time. So, man, life is a collection of, of crazy experiences, and you just kind of got to roll with it and have fun with it. You, uh... You ever been starstruck? I've ever been starstruck. I've never been in a room with Obama. I think okay. that would probably do it for me. That's like that's the. There's no athlete that would or artist that would starstruck me. I met Jay. I met Chance. I met Yay. You know, I met LeBron. But um, Obama would probably do it for me. Trying to think. It's funny. Here's the most starstruck I've been when I met Bill Simmons. I can't even lie. I was in high school and I used to listen to his podcast every day. And he did a book signing, and I embarrassed myself. I waited in line, waited in line, waited in line, got my book signed by Bill Simmons. And you know, in a book signing, you get like your like 20 seconds to right, talk right, to the person. Right, right. And I was just like, Bill, I'm your biggest fan. I listen to your podcast every day. And like, I was in Sports Illustrated. I'm a basketball scout. And like, I was just like, who the fuck is this crazy kid? Right. That's the most starstruck I've, I've been. Other than that. I don't know. I think that's it. Mine was Jordan. University of Illinois. Wow. Jay Price, assistant coach. I remember Jay. That was yeah. my guy. He was my head recruiter. He's like, uh, Rico. That's what they uh, call me. And they were like, Rico, you meet uh, Michael? He's like, Michael who? He was like, Jordan. I'm like, fuck no, Jay. Like, you know I've never met Michael. <laughs> and he's like, come on, buddy. Let's meet him. So I was like, Mike, uh, my name is Duan Marrero. I'm a recruit here, highly recruited uh, for the 2012 class. Oh, nice. And I was like, okay, I had a sidekick at the time, so I'm trying to like flip the damn sidekick up. Say, hey, you mind if I get a photo with you real quick? He was like, all right, make it quick. So he smiled. I was like, okay, make it quick. I'm going to make it quick because you're Jordan. Only time I've been starstruck. So I got that photo frame in my bedroom at home. Wow. Um, So, yeah, man, no, we both have a story, and I'm glad we was able to get it out. Any advice you would give any young kids that want to pursue what you're doing? that you would tell them now in this social media driven era? Yeah, um, I mean, what I'm currently doing as far as being an agent, 
if I gave advice to them to want to pursue it, I'd say don't. It's not a good <laughs> path to go on. Um, uh, but and there's many reasons for that. We didn't even jump into the agent world. That's right. another another right, thing. Right, right. But I would say um, seek seek to help people. Uh, seek to invest in people. Seek to do right by people, and don't um, worry about how it come back comes back to you because the universe will take care of that. Um, like my journey has gotten to this point because I never really did it for the profit or I did it for what I was going to get from it. When I started my website, I wasn't like like I said, master plan. I'll be an agent in 15 years. I was like, I love basketball. I'm going to write about it. Um, I love connecting kids to colleges, so I'm going to connect them. All those relationships just would always come full circle. I, you know, I was I love music, so I'm gonna manage artists. So I just follow my heart, follow my passion, help people, and you know, I I always remember the people that helped me. You know, you can't eat the fruit from the tree and not water the soil. You know, so anytime I have an opportunity to, you know, I run a nonprofit that uh, helps is dedicated to helping kids from Chicago get scholarships to junior colleges, Division twos, Division threes, and NAIs, because those kids will never be pros. If I don't take care of those kids, I can't expect to sign the guys who are going to the NBA. Sure. I, I, I gotta, if I'm eating the fruit from the tree, I gotta water the soil. So I would say uh, follow your heart, reinvest in your community, reinvest in people, do right by people, and um, fuck it. Just fuck it, you know? Right. Like, put it I, out I, there. I was never scared. I put it out there. I didn't wait till the timing was perfect. I didn't wait till the branding was perfect. I just did it. I used to film little, little videos on a flip video camera. I'd keep it in my pocket. I'd film it. I used to. I have videos that have a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand hits that I didn't have a cameraman for. I'd interview a player on the team, and I'd ask one of his teammates to hold the camera for the interview. Um, just, just do it. Just fucking make shit. Sure. Right? Fuck it. Yeah. Hey, there you have it, Daniel Poneman. Thank you again for coming on the Duamaro podcast. Um, my community will be thrilled to hear this, and other fans who uh, tap in. Um, dropping content every Thursday, you guys. Please leave a review, subscribe on uh, everywhere where you listen to your podcast. Thanks again, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. This was awesome, and I'll come back anytime.